Well, I've been asked to speak about the Welsh Revival. Naturally, I wasn't there. It took place in 1904, but my dad was. My dad was a miner. First of all, he worked in the slate quarries. You know something, of course, back in those days, slate was big business. They exported slate to Europe and there was a great market for slate. Nearly all the roofs were covered with slate in those days and we've got them here, haven't we? You walk around Newcastle. Is the tabernacle got slate on? There you are, what do you know about that? Might have my dad's initials on it up there. Get up and have a look. Anyhow, you imagine hanging down the side of a quarry against the face, the working face, with a little small tool like a mini mattock and chipping down slate, hanging on a rope in the conditions you would have had in weather in Wales. It's a wonder that half of them didn't die, you know, when you think of it, the, the cold conditions they would have faced, hanging on a rope, working on the face of the quarry. So my dad went from that to the coal mines and uh, he worked in the coal mines. Finally he came to Australia, of course, and uh, he became a deputy a safety officer in the mines. It was his responsibility to go into the mine early before the other miners went in, check the working conditions, see that there was safety there, listen for the roof, make sure it wasn't moving and talking, check the props and so on. And then finally was able to say to the men, come on in. Any of you here? Coal miners. Do we have any coal miners? All right, so... Ex-Kalmai, so you know the language I'm talking about, don't you? I went down the, coal, the gold mines, it probably was, at Broken Hill, and a uh, chap took us through, a group of us, and he was explaining everything, and nobody was answering any of his questions, so I answered, and then he asked somebody else, and I answered, and then he asked somebody else, and I answered, he said, you've worked in the coal mines. I said, no, not one day, but I said, in my home... In the lounge room of my home, my dad and my oldest brother talk mining like you would talk cricket or soccer or rugby or cars. They loved it. My father said, I love the mines. And he loved the work and he would talk about it to my oldest brother. And so I knew all the language, in by and the gopher and the rail and the trappers and all. I knew all that language, you know. And so this poor fellow, the broken hill, he thought I was an ex-minder. But I said, the only time I've ever been down a mine is to have a quick trip down 1,200 feet sometimes with some of these cages down some of our deep mines, 800 feet, to see the work. But my mum had said, no more of my sons are going into mining. Well then, let's come to talk about revival, because that's what we're here today. What is a revival? Well, you know, some people think a revival is a, is a crusade, it's a campaign, it's a mission. It's more than that. Uh, Dr Harry Ironside, a very great Bible teacher and the principal of the uh, Moody Bible Institute and the pastor of the Moody Memorial Church said, I was walking down the street one day and I saw at the front of a church, revival here next week, Monday and Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday and Sunday. And Dr. Einstein said, what happened to Wednesday and Friday? <laughs> and here were these fellows suggesting that a revival would be there on certain nights that they'd chosen uh, throughout the week. How pathetic. Revival is more than that. Uh, 
Stephen Alford, the very fine American preacher, he said, he said, a revival is like a heavenly invasion. He said, God has come down in miraculous power to work among his people and it's like an invasion. And so it's not something that men work on. Spurgeon said, because people have said, let's get a revival up. And Spurgeon said, where are you going to get it from? And that's true, isn't it? Where are you going to get it from? It comes down at the will of God, by the power of God, for the glory of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so my dad experienced revival in Wales. He, pardon me, he only a young man, but one evening he said to some of his other young friends, let's go over the mountain to the next village or town and uh, see what they're talking about. They're talking about these meetings. They're talking about the explosion that's taking place over there of interest in spiritual things. Alford said, a revival is a, an awareness of God. And that's true, isn't it? An awareness of God. We need that today in our society. Awareness of God. You know, I rang a lady yesterday and I was talking on Monday, we're going out to do uh, Bible placement in all the uh, accommodation places of Colburn, all of those resorts and those guest houses. And you know, as I talked to the lady, I thought to myself, the ignorance of our people about spiritual things, about the things of God. As I talked to her, I thought if I was talking to her about accommodation and I was talking to her about resort activity, she'd know all the answers. But when I talked about Bibles and the need of Bibles in the room, you'd imagine I was talking in a foreign language. We don't have a God awareness. My father said, let's go over to the next village and see what they're talking about. So in the evening, after they'd worked in the mines, they went over the mountain and down into the next village and when they got there, the churches were brilliantly lit as they would be in those days by their best ability. ability. And uh, people were standing everywhere. People were outside the church, people were peering in through the doorway, peering in maybe through the windows and every seat in the church was packed and people were standing around the wall and they looked and they stood and they were amazed. They thought, there's no seats left. There's no room inside. We'll have to stand outside. So they stood outside for maybe several hours. Somebody said when the revival really took over in Wales, the hours became minutes. One fellow got up and had to go to work. And he came out and he said to the folk, if you'd like to go in, my seat's empty. About the third row on the left down on the front is my seat. He said, I've got to go. I've been here for 15 hours. Now, that wasn't, that wasn't an isolated case. Don't think he was a bit of a, a real enthusiast. You know, he stayed for 15 hours. People were there day and night. The churches were open all day and all night. Uh, and people came and prayed. They went from the church to work and they went from the work home to have a quick scrub up and a meal and then down to the church. So 15 hours wasn't long in their estimate. And so my father said, this man came out and said, my seat's vacant down there. Somebody can go there. And so somebody went down and sat there. 
It was a time of great conviction, men. People were convicted of their sin. Men were out of touch with God. Men were out of touch with their families. Men were out of, were out of touch with their neighbours. It was a time of great spiritual dearth. And uh, the preaching was necessary in that time because the people had got away from the things of God. In 1850, they had a revival then, in 1850, and there was great blessing and the churches were filled. But over the passage of time, things got cool and they neglected the house of God. They were not reading their scriptures. There was no gathering for prayer and there was a cooling off period and drunkenness and other things came in and uh, the things that we are facing uh, about so marriage relationships and all, the edge of this sort of thing was starting to come in uh, and make inroads into their way of life. Uh, and there was great dearth in the land. There was a great need for awakening. And God met them in a wonderful way. You've all heard maybe of Evan Roberts, young Welsh fellow, 25, 26 years of age, and he was burdened for his people. He had a great concern for them. Are you burdened for the people of your country? I am. I am. I'm burdened for my people. I'm sure you are. I'm not being critical, men. I'm sure you are. You're burdened. You love your nation. You look around you and you say, yes, I love my people. I long that they might enjoy the things that I enjoy as a believer. I long that they may know peace with God. I long that they may have a, a, a union and a communion with the Lord Jesus. I long for that. I look out of my window of my dining room and I can see about eight or ten of my neighbours' homes. I'm on a corner block and I look around here and I look there and I start to name them by name and pray for them. Do you do that? Let me encourage you to do that. Look out of your window, sit at the dining room table or on your front veranda and look out. Lord, Mrs Brown there. Lord, Jeff over here. Lord, Rose over here. Lord, David here. Will you be pleased to speak to them? Will you awaken them? Will you make them concerned? And then I do something practical as well. I go to their letterbox, give them something like that. I hand them a book. I say to Trevor across the road, Trevor, I'd like you to read this book. And it's the conversion of Willie Mullins, the Irishman. He was a rugged character, a drunk, no hope, a hopeless soul. And he talks about how he became a believer and a pastor of a church. And I said, would you like to have this? And I gave him the book to read. Do something positive. I know it's not easy. We fear the face of people, don't we? We sort of think, what will they think of me? Think my neighbour thinks I'm mad? You know, I was playing with my girls one day out the front of the house and they had a skippy rope, a long skippy rope, you know, and they're twirling it. And Dad here, he said, I'll try and go in and skip with him because you know what happens then. You've got about six feet and you end up on your face. But anyhow, I ran in and I'm with the girls and I'm skipping. And a few days after, one of my neighbours said to me, Al, I'm jealous of you. He said, I was watching you the other day. He said, I wish I could do that with my family. They're watching us, men. They're watching us, how we behave, how we act, what we say, what's our language, our concern, our relationship. And so there was a need. And this young man, Evan Roberts, got together about 17 people 
and said to them, let's pray for our nation, let's pray for our village, let's pray for our neighbours. And so they began to pray, not for five minutes, not just for a short time, but they gathered it together and they spent several hours and they prayed and they prayed earnestly. They agonised. They, Lord, they called on the Lord, Lord, be pleased to meet with us and touch us. And they didn't say, first of all, Lord, deal with my neighbour. They said, Lord, deal with me. Deal with me. That's where it all starts, men. That's where revival comes. When we, first of all, come and deal with the, the things in our own life that are a hindrance, are causing us to be slip up and fail and not be the men of God that he wants us to be. And so they, they began to agonise in prayer and they prayed for hours and weekly, regularly. The numbers grew from about 17 to 25 or 30 and so it's kept on growing and they kept on praying and there was an urgency and there was an agony about their prayer and then the Spirit of God came upon them and an awakening took place and uh, souls were being saved. Men who'd been 25 years a deacon in a church stood up in the meeting and said, I've been the deacon of my church for 25 years. I'm not saved. I've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for myself. Will you pray for me? And people came with their hand on his shoulder and prayed with him. And he confessed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just one. Numbers of them did this. And so there was this great movement. My father stood there as a young man, no doubt with his mouth open in amazement, as he witnessed what God was doing at that time. And so the work spread, went from village to village. Of course, if those of you maybe have travelled, have been to Wales, I haven't been to Wales, but two miles over the mountains, you come to another town or another village. You read the little lovely story of Mary Jones, the founder of the Bible Society. You remember she walked 25 miles to get a Bible. How far did you walk to get your Bible, man? How far did we walk? We didn't have that problem. And listen, she walked barefoot for 25 miles to get a Bible, and then 25 miles back home and clutched it to her breast and said, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this word that you've given to me. And so the Bible became paramount and important in their lives and people read the scriptures and prayer and the house of God was no longer being vacated and, and uh, neglected and people were gathering and prayer was taking place. David Matthews tells a story that uh, he'd been a a man who spent a lot of time in the music world. We enjoyed our penis today, didn't we? I did. It was lovely to listen. And this man was a fellow who trained some of the top vocalists in Wales. And he was, he was in church every Sunday, and yet he wasn't saved. And David Matthews said, I'm going down to have a bit of a look, a sticky beak almost, you know, at this meeting. And he went down in the daytime, mind you, and when he got there, the church was packed to the doors. There was a little town called Neath. We've got a Neath here in the Hunter Valley, up near Cessna, where I live. Little small, it's a little town too. And yet they had 
one of the biggest churches in Wales, had a very fine big building, and it was packed out. And so he came and he uh, peered in and uh, he saw there a man he knew well and the man beckoned him, come over here, you can come here and have my seat. And so he went over and the man said, here, have my seat, David, I've got to go to work. He said, I've been here for 15 hours. And he got up and he was going and he said, here, have my seat, David. And David said that he sat there and he was amazed. There was prayer being offered. There was praise being offered. There was testimony being given. There was pleas for help being given. There was revelation given. And I say that carefully. Be careful when we talk about some of these things, of course. But there was revelation. Evan Roberts may say from the platform where he stood quietly in prayer, he would say, would somebody slip outside and around the left-hand side of the church, there's a young man there who's in turmoil of soul. Will someone go and speak to him? And they went around there and they found the young man who had turmoil. And he might say again in the meeting later on, quietly, there's a man in the gallery up here on the right-hand side He's in real need. Will somebody go and speak with him? And so somebody would slip up and kneel down beside him and speak with him. And David Matthew said, I'd been in church all my life and I knew nothing of these answers to prayer and this working of God in our midst. And so he said, I came to realise I was still lost and outside of the family of God. I wasn't a child of God and I need to be saved. And he was, and he became a writer, and he'd written a book, which I have, I Saw the Welsh Revival. And David Matthews talks of the experiences of those days. And so the meetings went on. Night and day, crowds gathered. Hotels were no longer having trade. Lloyd George who later on became the Prime Minister of England, David Lloyd George, those of you who know your history well, a man up here nodding at the back, thank you for your support you've been reading. And David Lloyd George, he says, I was talking to a publican the other day and he said to me, things are bad, this revival is affecting my trade. Last Saturday night, my books, I looked at my books and my takings were, now listen to this, fourpence halfpenny. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Almost unbelievable. His takings for Saturday night were fourpence halfpenny. One man was standing at the bar, the only sole person in the hotel, in another hotel, and he's standing at the bar and he's lamenting with the proprietor of the hotel how things were. Look at the place, it's empty, we've got no company, no fellows here as usual, wanting to sing and wanting to talk and so on. And just then a group of young people on their way to the, the Welsh, uh, to the revival, I was going to say the Welsh singing, to, went to, on their way to the revival, and they looked in the door and they called out, are you coming to the revival? And the proprietor of the hotel was that angry. He got a little jug that they used for their drinking and he threw it at them. And the fellow who was standing there, the sole patron, he said, if you're going to act like that, I'm going with them too. And he walked out and there was no one left in the pub. 
and that night he got truly and wonderfully saved. I tell you, they were wonderful days. And my dad would tell these stories. I was 12 years of age, and my dad would say, I'm going down to the Methodist church at Abermain. The men there want me to come talk about the revival. And he would take me as a little 12-year-old boy. And when I look back on that, I think, could you imagine a 12-year-old boy going with his dad and sitting in a meeting with old-timers like us and, and listening to his father talking about the worst revival? You know, when I look back on those days, I thought, how good was God to put me into an atmosphere like that and hear those things being told and creating a desire in my youthful heart that these things might be relevant to me. And later on, thank God, I did come to personal faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God, and that's why I'm here today. But my dad used to talk about these things and the tears would run down his cheeks. And I used to say, oh, Dad, dry up. You know, I was a little bloke. Dad, you, you don't want to be crying. But his tears would run down his cheeks. Later on, as I came to know the Lord and preached the word of God, I said, Lord, give me my father's tears. Give me my father's tears. What does the psalmist say? He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We need to be compassionate men. We need to be caring and concerned. We can become dried up and hard and critical and indifferent. God, give us compassion. Our Lord Jesus looked over the city and he wept over it and cried, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathered the chickens, but you would not. And you and I need to be burdened for our communities and compassionate for them and about them and seek that at least we reach the one. You say, we can't reach them all. We can reach one. Let's start with the one. And so the ministry spread and the work went on. I mentioned David Lloyd George a little while ago. He was a politician in Wales before he went on, of course, to be the Prime Minister of England. And he was having a political rally. And together with another politician, they were setting up. And so they started the rally. And this is what the program took. This is the style of program. It opened with a local minister giving a devotional word. And then they sang, very enthusiastically, I might say, they sang a hymn. And then a blind man stood up and fervently prayed that these men who were there that night, these two politicians, might know the wisdom that comes from above. And he urgently and earnestly prayed. And then David Lloyd George went up to speak and instead of talking about the roads and the rivers and the bridges and everything else, he said, you know, the most wonderful thing that's happened in Wales, he said, is this revival that has touched our land. And he said, you know what it's like? It's like an earthquake and it's shaken the whole of the land. This is the man who became the Prime Minister of England. And he's standing up and giving testimony to the fact that God had come down among them and had worked in a way that they'd never known before and what a change had taken place in the land. What about the mines? Now, 
The miners, are, they're a hard-working men. You talked about mining, it's a dangerous work. I remember one day my home where mum and dad lived was quite close to a coal mine. I could stand at my gate and look down the road and it led straight down to Aberdare Extended Mine. And one morning, the siren at the pit, most of them had whistles. The whistle used to blow, steam whistle. But they extended out a siren and started to wail. And the women started to appear at their front gate. And you could see them all looking anxiously down the road. What had happened? They'd had an open cut next to the mine and we'd had some torrential rain over many days and the open cut filled and it burst through into the underground workings of the mine. And men were down there working and all these tons of gallons or whatever we might like to call it of water started to pour into the underground workings. And one of those men was a fellow John Murray. He lived four doors from my home. Knew him well, and he was in there. And his wife, I can just see her in my mind's eye, standing at the front fence, looking down the road and wondering about her John in the pit. Oh, serious stuff, isn't it? Serious stuff. And the men got out of the mine by coming out, hanging onto the cables that were attached to the ceiling, the roof of the mine. They came out, and the water would have been up probably to their shoulders. And they came out hand over hand, coming out on the cables, the electric cables that conveyed power down into the mine. Can you imagine why my mum didn't want this boy to go down the mines? She didn't want all of us to go down the mines. My oldest brother, he's following Dad. He went down the mines. But in the goodness of God, we were spared from that experience. But mining's a dangerous business. They're tough, hard men. They're in the dark all the time down there working. And so what was the reaction of the miners? Some of them were in the town choir and they knew what it was to be in church because every Sunday night after the service, the choir practised. So the men often went to church and stayed on for the choir practice. They had a choir, I think it was in a place called Cardiganshire, that had won the world title of male voice choirs. So they were good singers. You know that, don't you, about the Welsh people? And so these tough minders started to go to the crusade, to the, to the revival meetings, and men were being saved. One day they were there sitting, having their crib, having their lunch, their crib. And they're sitting around the little group and they're talking not about the rugby league finals, they're talking about the revival. And so Mr Bunyan came along, he's the mine manager, he's having an inspection and he comes along and he stands there with them. And Tom, one of the men, says, Mr Bunyan, you been to the revival? He said, no, I, I haven't been to the revival, Tom. He said, oh, Mr Bunyan, he said, the other night I was saved. He said, the Lord touched me, he said, and saved me, so I've been forgiven, I'm a child of God. Oh, it's a wonderful experience, he said, the joy is filling my heart. Mr Bunyan, do you know the Lord Jesus is your saviour? This is the miner talking to the manager. And remember this, in those days they called the manager sir. 
Sir, are you saved? And Mr Bunyan said, No, Tom, I'm not saved, as you call it. You know I've been 25 years in my church, but nobody's ever asked me that question. 25 years. No one ever asked him, was he saved? He said, Thank you, Tom. Can you help me? And he knelt in the dust with those men and they led him to the Lord Jesus. I say, say amen. Say amen, men. Amen. Hey, what, what a wonderful thing. They knelt in the dust, manager and miner, and he trusted the Lord Jesus as his saviour. You know, the pit horses, and I think Vince has stolen my thunder. I think on one of his tapes he told this story to the congregation upstairs. The pit horses couldn't work because the men were no, not swearing anymore. That was the only language they knew. And the ear of the wheelers, that's the, that's the man, isn't it? Here's the wheelers. And they're saying, come on, boy, come on. The skipper's come off the rails and they're trying to get it back on the rails. And they're saying, come on, boy, oh, we'll work together, you and I. Come on now, you ready? The poor old horse didn't know what it was all about. It, before it was a sprag giving him a bang on the rump and a pack of violent words against his horse and the skip. The story is told that one of the men, when the skip came off the rails, he got that agitated and that angry that he got down and he bit the skip. Could you believe that? He bit the skip. And then he stood up after he bit the skip and he gave it a kick, he said, and he broke his foot and made him curse all the more. And here they are with their horses, and the poor old horse is trying to say, what's all this about? He's saying, come on, boy, out together now. Here we go, let's get this thing back on the line. And they had to almost give the horses a language class to teach them new language, how to work. How wonderful. When it affects men like that, and it even affects the animals, how wonderful. Well, so the revival spread, and so the hand of God moved throughout the land, and 32,000 people made profession of faith in the year 1904. 32,000. What a wonderful occasion. Would you like to see that in Newcastle? Would you like to see that in the Hunter Valley? You like to see that in New South Wales? I would stand up tomorrow if I was given the right <clears throat> in our federal parliament and I would say in the presence of all the politicians and the people in the spectator gallery as well, I would say I have an answer for the will, for the needs and the, of our community and our nation. I've got an answer for our problems and I tell them we need a God-sent, heaven-given, spiritual awakening, a revival. And it would change so many of the great conditions that are troubling our nation today. Do you believe that? Yes. I do it with all my heart. I believe that. Employment was met in those days. Production was up and improved. Friends were made who before they'd been enemies. Do you know that this, the cage that runs up and down in the pit, the cage that runs up and down, 
takes the men down, brings them back up. If you were in the union, you would not get in the cage with a non-unionist man. That's how real it was, the enmity. They would not get in. He'd wait for the next cage. The union bloke would get in. The next cage, the non-union fellow. They wouldn't speak to each other. Now, my father has told me this as well as I've read this in revival books, that that was so. There was strong bitterness between parties like that. The Masonic Lodge, if you're in the Masonic Lodge, you did not talk to a Roman Catholic if you could help it. If the butch was a Roman Catholic and you were a Mason, you went to another butcher. You didn't do with him. My dad said, the fellows in Australia are playing tiddlywinks. They want to go to Wales. And they see there how strong people take these organisations they belong to. But in this situation, regardless whether it was lodges, whether it was unions, whatever it was, whether it was family dispute, people stood up in meetings and said, Jim Jones, up there in the gallery, I'm sorry for what I said about you 20 years ago. I'm asking your forgiveness. Mary Jackson down here, wouldn't be a Jackson, I don't think it's not a good Welsh name. I'll have to go and find another one. Mary down here, we haven't spoken to you and your husband for years. Will you forgive us? We make apology publicly here. They did that in church. And they fell on their knees and they cried to God with tears coursing down their cheeks. And God came among them. And there was forgiveness and there was restitution and there was harmony created. David Matthews tells how he was going home one night, late, very late, sometimes it was two in the morning, from the revival. And he said, away in the distance, it was a bit of a, a misty night, he heard somebody whistling, throw out the lifeline across the dark way. Any of you know that old song? Throw out the lifeline, throw out the lifeline, someone is drifting away. Know that one? The fellow was whistling it. He emerged out of the mist and it was the local constable. And he saw David Matthews and he greeted him warmly. He said, you've been to the revival meetings, David? He said, yes, I have. Wonderful things are happening down there. Oh, wonderful. The policeman said, I regret I've got to go on duty. But he said, I'd love to be there. But he said, there are wonderful meetings. And he went on his way. And David Matthews said, I found myself whistling. Throw out the lifeline. Throw out the lifeline. Someone is drifting away. Wonderful. God had spoken to men of all types. One more thing and I'm done. You've been very patient. I haven't been going to look at the clock. It's probably about two o'clock in the afternoon. Anyhow, <laughs> they had no cases listed to be heard in the courts. The charge sheets were all empty. No cases to be listed. And they came and they presented to the judges white gloves as a symbol of a period in the nation where, in that area in particular, there had been no hearings listed. Can you imagine that? I drive past the courthouse in Cessnock on a Tuesday and Wednesday, and my heart is heavy. 
I see there sitting on the steps all these fine young people. And I think, how tragic, how tragic, all these young people up there in the court. And here they were without a single charge listed to be heard. That's what revival does. That's what God does. I hope, as I close today, men, that every one of you here today, and this is my earnest plea, I prayed as I've come to this meeting today, not here glibly or carelessly, but I long that every one of you know the Lord Jesus as your own personal Saviour. It's a wonderful thing to be a child of God. It's a wonderful experience to know that the forgiveness of God has passed over your life and sin has been removed and assurance has been given. And you know that if today you move from this scene, my hope is fixed eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a home in heaven. And thank God for that. Boy, can we, let me tell you a song they sing. Can I do that, Vince? Am I going a bit too long? You sure? Let me tell you the song that they sang. This was called the love song of the revival. The Welsh love song of the revival. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. I won't give you any more pain, I'll read the next verse. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed the guilty world in love. That was the love song of the revival. May it become ours. Thank you for that. Thank you, Vince.